you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, every once in a while, somebody asks me if I really enjoy work as much as I talk about. Well, in as much as I think work is simply one tool for successful life, yeah, it is important. Do I love what I do? Absolutely. I mean, sometimes even my wife asks me, you know, do you really enjoy working as much as you do? I'm my own harshest taskmaster when it comes to work because I always have project deadlines, new things that I'm creating, but I don't know when I've ever been more excited about new opportunities, new things that we can do to get in the game than we have today. Well, we're going to be talking about those in the next 48 minutes here with your real life questions. Thanks for submitting those. You can always go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link and shoot your question in. Get lots of them. I scan through those and pull some that I think will be interesting to everybody. Hey, today's podcast is brought to us by Audible Podcast. You can go there. You're going to hear me giving you a selection of things to get here in just a second, but you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, find anything you want. And again, I'll be giving you some specific directions here in just a few minutes. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be talking about today. And I'm going to title our our theme for the day is, what are you expecting of yourself? What are you expecting of yourself? Now, that's pretty significant. And I'm going to give us a quotation here in a little bit that will kind of expand on that. But here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. Dan, how can I phase out of a well-paying career that I hate? How can I start an organic farm when I don't have any money? What is a good book for an incarcerated individual to read anticipating release? Dan, should I make the plunge to full-time barbecue catering? I'm a pastor and the church still can't pay me full-time. How can I mentor youth and make it profitable? Well, those will give us plenty of fodder for great discussions here today as we go through those and more. Here's our quotation for the day. It comes from John Steinbeck. Now, this is one of my son Jared's favorite quotations. Got a couple questions today that I'll refer to Jared in, but one of his favorite quotes comes from John Steinbeck, who said, it is the nature of man to rise to greatness if greatness is expected of him. That's a pretty cool thought. What do you do when you're around other people? Do you expect greatness? Do you expect greatness of your spouse, of your kids, the people you work with, the people you're trying to help the poor, the down and out? Do you just pity them because they're down and out? Give them a handout? Or do you expect greatness of them? You may be able to transform somebody's life by simply expecting greatness of that person. I mean, we've all heard stories about teachers who expected greatness of a student who didn't have anybody else in his life that was doing that. Well, well, we hope that you have a chance to do that in the upcoming days. Here's some questions. This comes from Terry in Orlando, Florida. Dan, what are some creative income strategies for consulting and helping clients to create products such as apps? I'm interested to know a good way to structure such an agreement. For example, if someone were to help you design a No More Mondays or 48 Days iBook, 
with integrated videos and resources, what would be a fair agreement? I shy away from hourly estimates for a more merit-based approach. Is compensation based on proven value after development possible? Thanks for all the support you provide in the 48 Days community. Yes, yes, I love your approach. You want to be paid on results? Be part of developing a project? Boy, you're my kind of guy. I mean, Dan Waller is a guy in the 48days.net community. He developed our 48 Days app. I paid him nothing. In fact, he did it totally without my knowledge. He developed the whole entire app right when we were looking at some possibilities for doing that. Then he brought it to me to see if I would approve. It was amazing. Did everything I wanted and more. He runs promo spots for us on there. You can, you can get it for 99 cents. Now, having done that, it's my content, right? So he developed it. What should he get? What should his fair share be? Well, he decided to sell it for 99 cents. I could have easily said, well, I'll give you 10% of the proceeds. You know, you sell it, I'll give you 10%. Instead, I said, how about if you get 100% and I get zero? Would that be okay with you? Well, obviously, he was thrilled to do that, and that's exactly what I did. I mean, he developed it. He put a lot of time and effort into doing that. We get the promotion. We get the continued pull of people back into our community. I thought it was only reasonable. He gets 100%. We kept it real simple, nothing complicated. I ought to check with him. I know he's sold an awful lot of those. But, I mean, if he's sold, I mean, if he has 50,000 people, well, it's $50,000. Then he's compensated for what he did. And I'd be thrilled. I don't know that the number's that high. I really don't know. I ought to check with him. But that's how we set it up. Now, I'm doing a project right now that lends itself to what you're talking about. You've heard me talk about... Udemy, the online content provider where you can go there and you can get courses on virtually anything that you can imagine. You can find a course there. I mean, how to use an Excel spreadsheet or how to set up a, a, web, a, a website, how to set up your own blog, and it has other things as well, you know, cooking instruction and all kinds of things. So I'm doing a course. I already did the video, did the video last week for this where it's going to be a course on the ultimate advantage, how to create your own mastermind group. Now we're going to price it at $48. Surprise, surprise. It's going to be about 48 minutes long. So if we sell 10,000, now this is where it gets interesting because if you write a book, I mean the books that I've written to have any significant kind of financial impact, I mean we need to sell hundreds of thousands of books. I mean, if you sell 10,000 books, man, it's going to be a blimp on the radar screen because of what you get in the back end royalty. But here, if we have a course at $48, we sell it for 10 or sell 10,000 of those. That's $480,000. Now you to me keeps 30%. So that's going to leave me $336,000. Guess how I structured it with the young guy who's doing all the technology work, the video recording, the editing, getting it up on Udemy and the whole thing. I paid him zero, but he gets 15% of the net profits. So if I get $336,000, he'll get $50,400, leaving me $285,000. Now he's going to do the same amount of work regardless of how many we sell. So if we sell $20,000, he'll make $100,000. But we also have to look at the prospect of selling two hundred dollars instead of $20,000 because it's really hard to tell. 
So in that scenario, if we put that course up and we only sell 200, he's going to get right at $1,000. If we sell 100, he'll get $500 for all of his work. But I mean, that's the way I structure everything that we do. When someone works with me on a project, they share in the upside potential and the possibility of a colossal flop. So if you're willing to do that, sure, you can propose all kinds of things. I mean, that's, that's a, there's no downside to somebody proposing a project to me in that way. You can do the same, have fun with it, be creative. I mean, there are people like Jay Abraham out there, an old time marketing guru who made millions, bazillions of dollars by doing that before we even had all the technology that we have today. But he would simply go into a business and say, look, we're going to benchmark where you are. I'm not going to charge you anything for my services, but I'm simply going to take 10% of the increase in your revenue over the next 18 months. Something like that. Now, I just pulled those figures out of the air, but it was, it's something like that. That's what he did. And time and time again, because he knew how to increase revenues for a company and in taking a small percentage of just the increase, he made a lot of money and obviously made business owners a lot of money as well. So yeah, look for creative ways to do that. There's opportunities all around you. Well, Alex says, Dan, this is kind of related. I got a couple here that I put together. This is a related question. Alex says, Dan, would you be interested in a crowdsourced version of 48 low cost business ideas? You started me on my entrepreneurial path. I want to give back to you. I spoke with my mastermind group inspired by you and they love it. I wanted to tell you immediately, but I heard Jeremy's question about his idea. Now, Jeremy was a question I think I had last week where he said he wanted to, to do another 48 low cost business ideas that he pulled together. Would I be willing to post it on my site and simply allow him a small percentage of revenue generated? And I said, sure, bring it on. So, um, Alex has said, Oh no, that was my idea. Frustrated. I believe my dreams were dashed, but only momentarily. You taught me the power of the win-win scenario. I believe that I can contribute back to you and still have Jeremy's idea succeed. I want to create a version that involves 48 days members contributing low cost business ideas. It would be another free resource for members. If you're interested, I could work with you as well on a percentage. If you sold it on your site, And then he said, if others are interested, contact me at alexbarker.org. We did that, Alex. I mean, you can go on the right-hand side of 48days.net site, scroll down, and you'll see a little post-it note there that says, download the free No More Mondays ebook. When I released No More Mondays, we opened the door for people's success stories, how they had developed ideas into their own success. There are great stories in there. Now, that's been a couple of years so that hasn't been updated, but we did exactly that. We just solicited stories from the 48 days community. They poured in, we had somebody put that together and edit it. It's a really cool format that they did in an ebook there. Um, yeah, I'm open to doing the same thing. I mean, we, we got to stand around here. You got an idea, make it happen, Captain. So <laughs> that would be uh, something that I would certainly be thrilled to see happen. Here, here's another question where partnering and results would be applicable. Now this comes from Matt in Falkville, Alabama. He says, Dan, as I have declared your friend, Rabbi Daniel Lapp and my radio rabbi, I now declare you my radio business mentor. I want to go in business with the local organic farming organization and start my own organic farm where I would be growing for them. One advantage of this arrangement would be that they already have an established market. 
based on the materials and information they have provided, I could cover my initial investment as well as make a tidy profit my first year. However, I don't have the cash on hand for the initial investment. I thought about looking into some of the crowdsource funding I hear you talk about, but the ones I've looked into lean more toward charitable and community causes. As my radio rabbi has taught me, my noble cause would be to make money. Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks for your question, Matt. So you want to do organic farming, grow the produce and sell it, but you don't have money for the initial investment. My encouragement is be creative in figuring out ways to bootstrap your idea. Now, bootstrapping means that you don't go borrow money, you don't go down to the bank and get an SBA loan, but you simply start small and then use the profits to grow the business itself. I mean, that's a way to keep your head clear, keep you out of debt, keep the pressure off, and grow a business profitably from day one. I think you can do that with what you're talking about. So you want to do organic gardening. Now, you say organic farming, so I'm not sure what scale you're talking about here, but I mean, our neighbors right across the street have a lot of property and they have a large garden where they sell produce and then let people come in and pick it themselves. So that's been a real profitable venture for them, kind of doing both ways there. They also rent out plots for people to grow their own. Now, I'm sure that doesn't require a whole lot of money. I don't know what it costs, but I'm sure it's not a whole lot to do that. But let's just say that you need land, seed, tractor, rototiller. I mean, I'd encourage you to find land where you could give part of your produce as payment for the land. I mean, just like we're talking about the projects that I'm doing where I pay nothing, but the people who develop it then share in the profits, you can do the same thing. I mean, the, the idea of sharecropping is an old, old concept. I mean, there were many, many people. My dad, God, I just remember this. My dad in the early days of farming, farmed a farm that he did not own at all. So it was a farm and dairy cows. He got a, he was not paid anything, but he got a percentage of all the profits. He did really well with that. He made enough money to then buy his own farm, but it's just sharecropping. Certainly you can do the same thing where you get a plot of land and you agree to give the produce or percentage of the profits back to the owner of that land. You could probably even work it out to have access to, you know, rototiller, farming equipment. There's a lot of that setting idle around on farms these days where it doesn't make sense to do large commercial farming. But if you went in and used an acre and did organic gardening, my goodness, yeah, there's a, the profit margins are really high in organic gardening, and you could certainly do that. So I'd look for opportunities to do it in that way. Well, hey, I'll insert this quickly here. Just a reminder, every week I'm going through questions. From you, the listeners, if you got a question, if you're hearing this, if you're a new listener, welcome in. Glad to have you. But if you're hearing this and you've got a question, just go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link there. You can submit a question. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming show. Well, here comes a question from Kurt from Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Inspired by you, Pat Flynn, Cliff Ravenscraft, and others, I launched a barbecue catering business earlier this year. On the weekends, I sell ribs, pulled pork, etc. at farmer's markets and have occasional catering gigs. Did one for a pro baseball player already. Yay! During the week, I do IT, so information technology, and have been longing to cater barbecue full-time. I recently took a temp position with a new company. My old job was 6 to 2.30 so it left me plenty of time for catering, prep, and planning. 
My new job is eight to five with mandatory overtime. Plus I'm driving in traffic both ways. I feel like my catering business is suffering because I scramble on Thursday and Friday to prep for weekend gigs. My question, should I find a better job that you know fits better, closer to home or make the plunge to catering full time? Well, you have to look realistically at what you're able to do with your barbecue catering. Man, I love the sound of what you're doing. If you've already set up to do it at, to have product ready to go at farmer's markets where you've got something every weekend you're doing there and you know that you're going to make a thousand bucks a week, you know, doing that, you may be ready to go ahead and make the plunge. So making the plunge should not be like jumping off a cliff, but it's because you already have a business that's up and running sufficiently to duplicate your current income. If you're close to that, absolutely make the plunge. It, it won't feel like making a plunge. It'll feel like you're you know, taking a walk in the park because it's going to be such a sense of freedom in being able to do what you want. My rule of thumb is that if you have a side business that you want to be your full-time gig, you should be able to grow it into that full-time thing in about 90 to 180 days. So that's three to six months. If it goes longer than that, then you are going to be borrowing on the success of other areas of your life. That meaning if you're working 40 hours a week and you're spending 30 hours a week in your side thing, something else in your life is going to suffer. You don't want that to continue. But if you can do that for three to six months, yeah, you can tolerate that and then make the swing and go full time. So if you're, even if you're at 50%, generating 50% of your full-time income in your catering business, yeah, you might be able to go ahead and just make the swing. Promote heavily that you're available so you can be doing events during the week now. You can do sales events where you cater lunches to them because you're not tied up with another job. I mean, if you're just working a part-time job, I suspect you aren't making a whole lot. If you're making 10, 12 bucks an hour, man, I would hope that you could duplicate that and much more by spending that time in your catering business. Well, this question comes from Jada, who says, what's a good book for an incarcerated individual to read? So when he gets out, he can get out, he can get a head start on life to also have a great and successful life. Well, great question. You know, we hear that a lot. And when people get out of prison, they have a whole lot of obstacles. Joanna and I have done a lot of work in that area. We're very aware. Nobody will rent to them. Nobody will hire you. Nobody will give you a place to live. And I had one time we had a young lady that we were helping who had just gotten out of prison and she had a really good job. And I'd taken her a job interview. She got, and got a great job as a medical transcriptionist. So we went to a place that was right across the street, really right across the park from where she was going to be working with a full-time job and looked at a duplex where she was going to rent half of it. Well, they did a background check and it was like, no, you know, we can't rent to this person. I said, look, here's the deal. You know, we're, we're mentoring this gal. We believe in her. She's going to be fine. I said, what about if you just rent it to me? Well, no, we can't do that. If she's going to live there, we can't do that. I said, what about it? Literally listen to this. I said, what if I pay you a year in advance? No, we can't do that. I said, you have got to be kidding me. I'm offering to pay you a year in advance for rent on this apartment so this young lady can live right next to where she's going to be working and you won't do that. Well, that, that's the kind of thing you run into. I know it's challenging. 
Well, let me suggest, as you requested, let me suggest some good things that you can read. How to win friends and influence people. Now, a lot of things that get people in trouble is because they don't have good social and interaction skills. So I would put that up there really high. How to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. Now I'm going to tell you where you can get any of these and listen to them free as part of what we're talking about here. Well, another one is going to be 48 days to the work you love. I mean, we fortunately have had a whole lot of people who came out of prison, read that book and were able to get engaged in work that is profitable because it helped them see outside the box. It helped them see possibilities that other people don't see. So we got how to win friends and influence people, 48 days to the work you love. Let me give you a couple more. I would suggest, well, let me give you a couple more and then I'm going to end with one. I want to talk about it a little bit. Take the stairs by my friend, Rory Vaden. Take the stairs. It's just a book about taking personal responsibility. You can wait all day for the escalator to show up or the elevator, but you never have to wait to take the stairs. Rory Vaden. The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy publisher of success magazine, the compound of it, everything in our life matters. Start doing the little things right. And all of a sudden the really big, great things are going to be showing up. And then I'm going to recommend the hundred dollar startup. Now, the reason I'm going to recommend that is because that's written by Chris Gillibu is because it's really difficult having a prison record, a felony on your record to get a traditional job, very limited, Ah, we can't, we could spend all day going into fair, unfair and all that, but it just is the way it is. My recommendation is that somebody coming out of prison is a little more creative in what they do. If you start a yard service, nobody's going to ask about your background. If you're doing window washing and you do a spectacular job, nobody's going to be asking about your background. If you're catering, nobody's going to ask about your background. You can do on and on and on. The hundred dollar startup is going to give you a whole lot of ideas. Plus you can go to the 48 days, low cost business ideas. If you're a member of 48 days.net, you can access that for nothing, another free resource, but look at the ideas like that where you could start some kind of little venture on your own. I think the opportunities there are so much better. What we see so often, unfortunately, is people who are in prison having used their creativity to do things that are illegal, got them in prison. They get out, they get a job making 10 bucks an hour and they're sitting there three weeks into it and think, you got to be kidding me. I'm getting 10 bucks an hour. I'm used to making, you know, a hundred dollars and 30 minutes with what I used to do, you know, and they get bored with what they're doing. They self-sabotage and ultimately end up back in prison. That happens all too often. Get creative about creating your own work. This is one of those things I talk often about. We want to work with people who are either going to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. For those who have been incarcerated, usually it it works best to create your own work. Now, all those resources I just mentioned, how to win friends and influence people, 48 days to the work you love, take the stairs, the compound effect, the hundred dollar startup. You can go explore for any of those. And if you're not a member yet of audible.com, which you should be, go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You can look up any of those titles and get the audio absolutely free. It can transform where you are in your success journey audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. Check it out. You could be on a new path 
really, really quickly. Great question. Thanks for the question. We have a real heart for people who are coming out of prison and um, think that they can start a new life if you do things that are not normal. If you try the normal path, it usually is frustrating, ends up being very discouraging. But if you do things a little bit abnormal, which we encourage for anybody anyway, you can be on your own path to success, never again to see the inside of a cell. Well, this question comes from Esteban Montoya. Sounds like I ought to be a movie actor. Esteban Montoya from uh, Taos, New Mexico. Dan, I appreciate you and your teaching, especially how they're Bible-based. I'm a pastor, church planner, having worked from day one. We're now five years into our church plan and still not self-supporting. For this reason, I still have to work. I have a site and it's growing in popularity. It's about internet marketing. I know you teach to give and that is what I do in pod, post and podcast. When should I offer services and products? I'm good in setting up WordPress systems for marketers and businesses as well as SEO. My blog also teaches biblical business principles. I want to be the Pat Flynn for Christians, internet marketers. I want to truly help people find biblical success any advice to reach that level is appreciated. Okay, well, let's, let's back up here a little bit. You planted a church five years ago, and it's still not self-supporting. So you've got a business idea. You've got a website that's getting traction. When should you offer products and services? Today. Today. I mean, there, there really is not. Well, I mean, I, I, I do talk about giving a lot. And, and we want to give and give and give and give. But there also ought to be the opportunity for people to show their appreciation. Now, somebody mentioned Rabbi Daniel Lappin. That's exactly how he describes making money. Somebody simply showed their appreciation for what you did or provided to them. That's a healthy, holistic, spiritual way to look at it. So if you're giving a lot of information to people, but you provide an opportunity for them to show their appreciation in the form of dollar bills, that's perfectly legitimate and honorable. So I would say do that immediately. Now, let me comment a little bit more about your situation. You are implying that if your church grows a little bit, then they will be able to pay you full time and you will no longer have to work. That is a recipe for disaster. Now, let me, I, I'm, I'm very biased on this. I, I recognize that. Let me just walk you through this. You've got a little church. They're struggling financially anyway. As soon as your church can support you full time, your relationship with them is going to change. You are now not just their motivator, mentor, leader. You're now their employee. They're paying you. If you get a new dishwasher, they're going to say, golly, there's only... You and your wife, couldn't you wash your dishes by hand? I mean, if you get a new suit, they're going to say, geez, you could have gone down to Goodwill and gotten one for 10 bucks. Did you really need to spend 500 bucks at JCPenney for that suit? It's just an inevitable change in the relationship. As soon as you hire full-time staff, your volunteers are going to disappear. I mean, I think your very best approach, if you've got a church that's been around for five years and you're still struggling financially, your best approach will be to grow a successful business that you can run. Then you can be a tither and a giver just like everyone else in the church. You can lead the way with giving 
and also be free to speak the truth and love because the people sitting in the pews listening to you aren't making your mortgage payment. I mean, how complicated does that get? How much freedom do you have when you're speaking to people who are writing your paychecks? You better say what they want to hear. You're going to be down the road. There's so much more theological, ethical, spiritual freedom if you are making your own money and you come in and share. I mean, I I love the idea of tent making. I think we all ought to be doing that. We all are called to ministry. We all ought to have areas where we are simply giving our services with a, a heart of ministry and service. I don't think it's dramatically different for the guy who stands in the pulpit on Sunday. I think it's an honorable model. And I think forcing that to change when you're right in the early life of a church is disastrous for everybody involved. Well, probably don't like my question, but um, hopefully it's helpful to some of, some of you listeners. Thanks for your question. Esteban, I really, I really do honor your question. Well, Cameron from Aurora, Colorado says, Dan, thanks for all you do. I'm 32 years old, recently read your book, Wisdom Meets Passion. I believe my passion and calling is mentoring the youth. I've been involved with big brothers, big sisters as a volunteer for a number of years. And oftentimes at work, folks will ask if I will mentor their son or grandson. My question to you is, how do I start this career path and make it profitable? Well, Cameron, my response here is going to be very related to the previous question. I mean, there's a lot of worthy things we all want to do that will never be our full-time career and our only means of generating income. I mean, mentoring is typically not something you do full-time. You may want to select one or two young men and mentor them by showing them how to be successful And you show them how to be successful by being successful in your own job or business. And you can show them how to treat others with respect by the way you treat your own spouse and family members and those you work with and how to live with character and integrity. I mean, those are things that are best learned, not just by talking about them, but allowing them to see those things played out in your own life through your work and your relationships. Now you mentioned Wisdom Meets Passion, the book I wrote with my son, Jared. I mean, Jared has a passion for helping others like I've never seen in anyone else. I mean, he would give someone the shirt off his back and his last dollar. He's always been that way, always will. So what does he do? To be of the most help and service to people who need it. He's part of a company that, I mean, he's owner in a company that is high in branding and marketing. They charge big fees for their amazing work. Then he and my daughter-in-law have adopted a young Rwandan man to mentor and make a man. This is a young guy who grew up in the streets. When he was seven years old, his mom sent him from the countryside in Rwanda into the city, thinking that his chances for survival would be better there than with her. Absolutely on his own. Seven years old. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, some of you have... You know, seven-year-old kids running around. You know what? Seven years old, and he was sent to the city to make it on his own, and he did. He lived in the street. Now, there's an opportunity to mentor. 
Jared came into his life when he was about, probably about 11 years old. But Jared met him as a street kid, you know, selling peanuts. Jared mentored him, taught him how to be more successful selling, how to have a better pitch, provide better service, increased his profits, ultimately let him live with him, and he has forever since now. And, they, and then they legally adopted him a couple years ago. But here's a kid whose only goal in life, day after day, was survival. Don't get hurt and get enough to eat. If you made it through honorably selling something, fine. If you had to steal, fine. That you had to have survival. How do you mentor somebody like that? And it's been a real challenge for Jared and Ilea to bring him into their home. Now he has a gorgeous bedroom, all of his, all his own. He has his own things. He has clothes hanging in the closet. There's always food in the refrigerator. Guess what? He doesn't have to worry about survival anymore. You know how difficult it's been to find incentives for him to do anything other than just sit because his needs have been met. Well, what a great opportunity for mentoring. Now, obviously we want to get people past the point of just raw survival. So now he's taking computer courses. He's getting excited about some new things that he's seeing, but it's been a real opportunity for them I mean, and they have tons of other young people who gravitate to their home on the evenings and weekends. They're able to mentor those young people because they have the resources to live lives that those young people want. So when you say that you want to mentor and you want to do that full time, I don't know how to mentor effectively without having a life that models what somebody else would want. So you can't mentor in its true form unless you are doing something worth modeling. Now, can you be a coach and make significant money? Well, absolutely. I believe in that. I mean, that's essentially what I do. But you can click through. I'll put put the link in the podcast notes to our coaching mastery program. You can go through how we help people shape their coaching and mentoring and consulting into full-time work. But even there, I mean, it's not just a matter. I mean, we we don't encourage coaches to do nothing but coach. We encourage coaches to be doing workshops and seminars, to be teaching, creating content, creating product, you know, doing things that create significant income so they have the energy and so they still have a clear model in business and they bring a lot of energy to the coaching that they do. Well, great question. Can a worthy thing that you want to do, make sure you don't destroy the value of what you want to do by bringing it directly into the forefront. There are a lot of things that we want to do in our lives that need to be kept as volunteer activities, sidelines. A lot of people have destroyed their hobby, destroyed their heart for ministry by making that the only thing they do that is then directly responsible for generating income. Well, successful life is more than just having one thing that you do that's your passion. It's a balance of things that bring meaning, significance, and profitability to your life. Well, next question. This comes from, okay, Jartan, K-J-A-R-T-A-N, Thorstenson, from Ireland, all right, we'll just go with Jartan. Probably not correct, and I apologize, but we'll call it, make it Jartan from 
from R. Cranes at Cranes, Iceland. All right, here's the deal. He says, how can I, okay, how can I come up with a business idea where he, he wants to be a journalist or a teacher? He likes writing, sharing knowledge, interesting stories. My other passion is the outdoors and rescue work. I serve in a volunteer search and research te- rescue team. Obviously, that doesn't pay. I happen to be hardworking, conscientious. That served me well. I get above average salaries, even in a job I don't particularly care for. But today I have a family and financial obligations. Do you have any ideas or insight you could share? Yeah, the first step is don't assume that changing careers will require a pay cut. I mean, when I work with dentists or physicians or engineers or accountants who say, I don't want to do this anymore. It's one of the first things that pops up. How am I going to duplicate my very significant income if I change careers? Well, don't assume that you need to drop your pay cut. Let's just take a scenario here. I don't know how much money you make, but let's just use, let's use $75,000 for a discussion. And you say, I wanted to become a journalist or a teacher. I like writing, sharing knowledge, interesting stories. Can you make money doing those things? Absolutely. Now, remember my earlier example about creating a video course for Udemy? I mean, plug in your own figures for what's possible. Let's say if you created just two courses on the outdoors and rescue work, you position them at $29 each. Now, I talked about putting a course up where, you know, we're projecting 10,000 students in that. Let's just say that you got 2,000 students each for two courses that you put up on the outdoors and rescue work. $29, only 2,000. Now, Udemy has over a million registered students already that they're going to be promoting to. So you only get 2,000. That's going to be $116,000. Udemy keeps $30,000. You're left with 81200 Boom, done. We just duplicated your income. I mean, that's only one idea. You could write an ebook and make $29,000 like Aaron Kerr did in like 60 days. You could plan an outdoor tour and charge participants for a memorable once in a lifetime experience. I mean, just think about all the things that you could do with your desire to write, teach, share knowledge, stories, focus in the outdoors, rescue work, Now, traditionally, getting a J-O-B in those areas doesn't pay extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could be an EMT, or you could be on a rescue team, or you could be a teacher, or you could be an author. And typically, none of those things pay well. That's okay. We don't care here about typically. We don't care about normal. We want to be abnormal, weird, eccentric odd. That's where we find opportunities that other people simply don't see. Start with your desire. You don't have to change who you are or compromise or just continue to do something you don't enjoy. Start with what you enjoy and build on that. Build around those ideas, the things that you most enjoy, but then look for creative ways to put legs on those and apply them. Well, this comes from Michelle. This is just a cute kind of sharing story. Hello, Dan. I had to just reach out to you after seeing a story. 
I think you'd really appreciate. It was about a man who's written a book about sharpening pencils and actually gets paid by people to sharpen pencils for them. I'm amazed and a little jealous because he appears to absolutely love what he's doing. His name is David Rees. His website is artisanpencilsharpening.com in case you've not heard about him. Seeing his story just remind, just really brought home for me everything I've heard you say over the years about doing something with excellence and becoming the go-to person in your field as the keys to making a good living, doing work you love. This really gives me new hope that with courage and dedication, I can succeed at my dream work also. I love it. Well, yeah, I am familiar with him, and I went to his website with your note here just to refresh. Yeah, he's written a couple books. He's on all kinds of TV and talk shows, and he sharpens pencils by hand. So he doesn't use a pencil. He sharpens them by hand, has turned it into a real art. And you can get one of his sharpened pencils for, I think it's like $29, with a point that is unlike anything you've ever experienced, supposedly. Now, I'm not sure what the long-term merit of that is as soon as you use it it's not going to have that kind of a point and we'll need to be sharpened again at some point but but i love the idea i love that he's taken something that unique odd eccentric abnormal just like we were talking about and turned it into a very profitable venture for himself you know and i love stories like that i, I just recently saw a story about an artist who creates art pieces from the shavings of pencil sharpenings when you see it real close up, as a matter of fact, it was in Reader's Digest. When you see it really close up, it looks like this real colorful, flamboyant collage of flower petals. But when you realize what it actually is, it's pencil shavings. And he uses those for his art. I mean, the possibilities go on and on. I mean, isn't that cool that we can come up with things that are that unique and create profitable work around it. Love it, love it, love it. Well, Tim says, Dan, in a recent podcast, you talked about finding a selling style that fits your values and personality. Now he talks about having worked for companies where things didn't work out. It wasn't really the relationship oriented kind of selling that he was led to believe it was going to be. There was more expected in terms of cold calling and so on. He says, as for this stage of my life, with kids gone and turning 50, I'd like your thoughts on how to combine various W-2 and independent contractor arrangements while I pursue my own self-employment interest. I think this is the best option for me as it gives me some control over my financial future and have been a job loss, but I don't want to be irresponsible and dismiss a corporate opportunity if one aligns with my selling style. Okay. I mean, selling is the most transferable skill you could possibly have, Tim. Whether you get a W-2 or a 1099 at the end of the year is not important. A W-2, if you're an employee, they're withholding Social Security, other taxes, you get a W-2 at the end of the year. If you're an independent contractor, you simply get paid for what you produce. They don't control your work day, work hours. You get a 1099. So most of the people that work for me get 1099s. In fact, all of them get 1099s. I just look for ways that we structure it so they are an independent contractor. So I love that model. But the important thing is not whether you're getting a W-2 or a 1099. Now, there's kind of a subtle subtle um, implication in your, your question here, and I didn't read all of it, that 
you've got a, a, some more of a safety net or perhaps even more opportunity if you are working for a company as an employee where you, you would get a W-2. I mean, that's okay. If you really feel that, if you really believe that, then fine. Find something there. You ought to be able to determine in advance if it's relationship oriented or if it's cold calling. Uh, here's an example. If you are working for a company that sells pacemakers, they're already going to have established relationships with the eight cardiologists in your territory. So that would be relationship oriented selling. It's not like you're going to go out and knock on 30 doors today, hoping that somebody's a candidate to buy a pacemaker. They aren't. Those cardiologists are it. It's relationship oriented to service those accounts. If somebody says, Hey, we've got this new water filtering system, go sell it. Yes. There you're cold calling. You can go knock on any door, whether it be a business or a residence. They're a prospect for what you have. So you're cold calling and you hope to make your sales that way. I mean, again, not right or wrong. It's just you can choose what kind of selling that you ought to do. But the important thing is to be selling something you're passionate about, that you can sell with your head held high. I mean, true professional selling is simply sharing enthusiasm. You should be able to tell if a position with a company is going to be largely relationship selling or developing new territories and then just do that. But now let me tell you this, the highest earning salespeople I know are not employees. They're independent contractors. They just use their skills to sell well. Well, here's, here's a quick last question. Dan, do you really read business books on a Saturday night? You don't relax a little and watch a movie or some TV. <laughs> this comes from Billy. Well, it's a legitimate question. You'd probably be mortified to follow me around because it probably looks like I'm working. But again, that's the beauty of combining work and play. So people can't tell which it is that you're doing. And I, I certainly do gravitate toward things that are inspirational and life building, growth producing, even if it's just for pure enjoyment. Joanna and I go out to a movie probably once a month. I mean, she likes the experience of going to the big screen, getting popcorn and so on. But seldom do I think it was really a good use of time other than just spending time with her. TV drives me absolutely nuts. I mean, the constant commercials for things that I don't want or need. I mean, what do you, what do you have in a 30-minute show? Maybe 18 minutes of the show and about 12 minutes of commercials? I don't consider that enjoyable at all. Now, I read a wide variety of books. Now, I also do things besides read. I mean, my gosh, I, I love our property. I'm outside a lot of time when other people would be sitting in front of the tube. You know, I'm outside piddling around doing things, riding around in my tractor, visiting the neighbors, whatever. Um, lots of things. I don't just read, but, and I don't just read business books. But everything I read does tend to be focused on personal improvement. I mean, I'm not just trying to make more money. I simply enjoy reading things that ultimately do lead back to that. Gee, what a novel idea. Well, let me just do a quick recap. How can you phase out of a career that you hate? Don't assume that your income is going to go down. Be creative about having your income go up when you're phasing out of a career. Can you start an organic farm when you don't have any money? Absolutely. Partner with those who are supplying the land, the seeds, the tractors. Bootstrap it. Do I know some good books for incarcerated in individuals to read or when they're going to be coming out? 
absolutely. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You can find all kinds of great listening books that'll change the future that you, I know you want to have. And then we had that one about the pastor and the church still can't pay me full time. And somebody wanted to mentor youth and make that profitable as well. Just keep in mind a lot of the most worthy things we want to do. Be careful about turning those into your only income generation. You may be a great example by having something that produces income so that you can mentor, pastor, coach, teach, love on people, encourage them because they're drawn to the life they see you live. All right. Remember that John Steinmet quote? It's the nature of man to rise to greatness if greatness is expected of him. You know, the first person you ought to expect greatness of the one you see in the mirror, expect greatness of yourself. You'll see it expand. Hey, thanks for being part of this great group of people growing people on 48days.net people sharing ideas check out the podcast notes for links to things we've talked about other resources and i know you're on this path to find or create work that is purposeful meaningful fulfilling and profitable